0: No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. After him marrying my mother, me being born, and him seeing the lifestyle, the money, the cars, the power, my father said he got infatuated with it. He was like, this is what I was born for. You know, I would have I died for, for Rafa in a heartbeat because he made me a somebody. My father said, I touched a million before you were born. That's
1: when I see lights behind me start to flash. And I didn't even think, I just hit it. I was driving like my life depended on. And then I parked the car, hopped out, closed the door, and I started running. And he pulls out a burner, shanks like six inches. And then he passes it to me. And he goes, here, that's yours. Don't ever leave the cell block without this. He was the reason I made it out of that place alive. Welcome back to The Connect. My name is Johnny Mitchell. This week, we're talking about Miami, the history of the cocaine trade there, specifically by groups like the Cocaine Cowboys and the legacy that they left on South Florida. If you're a fan of this show, it's likely you've already heard of the Cocaine Cowboys. But if not, here's a little refresher. The Cocaine Cowboys refers to the first generation of drug dealers who migrated to Miami in the mid 1970s to sell blow for the new CEOs of the Medellin cartel. Jorge Ochoa and Pablo Escobar. There were the white boys like John Roberts and Mickey Monday, who smuggled untold tons of cocaine for the cartel. And the infamous Griselda Blanco, also known as La Madrina, the godmother. She was the first and perhaps only female drug kingpin to come out of Colombia. At her height, her organization was bringing in almost a billion dollars a year in revenue. She is credited with starting the Miami cocaine wars that gave sicarios and drug dealers like herself the name Cowboys and is linked to almost a thousand homicides in the 10 years she was active in South Florida. But there is one man in particular, less flashy and murderous than his contemporaries, who was responsible for selling more cocaine inside the United States than anybody of that era, and perhaps in the history of the business. His name was Rafael Cardona Salazar, better known as Rafa. He was the number one man for the Medellin cartel in the U.S. By opening the market in Miami, Rafa helped propel the cartel into the most profitable criminal organization in the world. So we flew down to Miami to meet with his nephew, Alex, one of the last surviving descendants of this cocaine royalty. He offered new insight into his uncle Rafa and gave us an insider's look at what it's really like to be a child of the cocaine cowboys.
0: My first name is Alexander Montanez. I was born in Brooklyn,
1: New York. Alex Montanez is 40 years old, resident of Miami, and the first nephew to Rafa Salazar, who operated as the top lieutenant for the Medellin cartel until 1987, when he was gunned down outside of his office building in Medellin.
0: My famous uncle, there was uh, there's four siblings, my two uncles and the two women are my aunt and my mother. So my uncle's Rafa from the Colombian cartel from the cocaine cowboys.
1: Rafa was born in the slums of Medellin and was childhood
0: friends with Griselda Blanco. They grew up in, in Colombia in a neighborhood called Belen. Belen went with time, but well, 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 we come from a bad area in Colombia that is pretty much poverty.
1: He was a few years younger than Pablo Escobar when he started working for his organization. And he was the mastermind behind the cartel's expansion into
0: Miami in the mid 70s. My, my uncle, was, uh, was a mastermind. He, uh, he said, well, if we get this product to America, right, Miami, because Miami at that still to this day was, was the point that go everywhere with dope, right?
1: When the shipments arrived from Medellin, either by air or sea, Rafa was the point man the first person who received the work in the U.S. and who supervised its distribution. Rafa's younger sister, Luz Marie,
0: is Alex's mother. My aunt and my mother have always been professionals. went to college. They send them from college in Columbia to come get their masters here in America. My mother went to school to be um, a general contractor, an architect, an architect. Who hooked up with Alex's father, Robert, while she was living in New York City. And that's where the love story comes from. They, they met. They met out of their job. They used to work at a hotel, which is very famous in in New York called the Neverly Hotel. Imagine, you know, every good girl's like bad guys, right? So my father was this swagger, New York, uh, swagger on on a million, right? Meets my mother, knocks my mother right off of her feet. And uh, my father and her, they took a liking to each other quick, fast. It was kind of love at first sight. Robert was a Puerto Rican man from the Bronx who grew
1: up as an orphan basically in the 60s and the 70s. My father
0: had five sisters and I believe five brothers. And uh, my grandmother kind of, with all due respect, kind of gave away all her kids at an early age, kicked out on the street when he was like 11 years old. Then he went to go live uh, with his father in Puerto Rico. His father had a lot of kids as well, you know what I mean? And my grandfather kicked my father out of the house to give the, the room to, to a dog, to a house pet, kicked him out. Um, when he went back to New York, he was pretty much shining shoes. My father told me stories, man, about how in New York, you know, the subway, how you drop coins and stuff. My father used to have a little thing that he would get coins. My father was just a hustler. My father was homeless for a long part of his life. Um, fended for himself. My father was a warrior from an early age.
1: He was a New York street hustler, didn't speak any Spanish. He was a New Yorican, he played stickball. He was from that era. And when he first met Luz, he had no idea that he was messing with the sister of one of the biggest gangsters Columbia had ever seen. So they get together and quickly,
0: she gets pregnant with their son, Alex. They start living together. The whole romance starts. Um, My mother ends up coming out pregnant with me. My mother calls Colombia and says, hey, I don't think I'm gonna be able to finish school. You know, I got, I'm pregnant. And the day after finding out she was pregnant, her
1: entire family flew up from Colombia, including Rafa, to meet the baby
0: daddy, Robert. When you meet him, my mother would try to warn my father. Look, you can't, you can't say that you smoke weed. Uh, we met in school, uh, kind of giving them the, the resume. Like when you meet my family, You're this good guy, you know? They had a guy that spoke English and Spanish that was translating for my grandmother, my grandfather, my uncle, and kind of translating. So my uncle was asking my father questions, and he's like, oh, do you smoke weed? And he's like, oh yeah, I love it, it's my favorite. And my mom was like, no, no, you don't smoke weed.
1: And Rafa tells
0: Alex's father, you have two choices. They were like, look, you have to marry. My sister, she's pregnant. That's now your wife. My father didn't understand a lick of Spanish. My father was like, huh, what? And they were like, it's either you marry her or you die, right? And so, of course, Robert agrees to marry his sister. So they took a liking to my father because my father was just shot out, blood raw. My father never held nothing back. My father wore his heart on his sleeve. So now he's part of the family. Before I was born, my father, they already had taken my father to Colombia so he can start putting in work for him. So when my father goes to Columbia, my father was like, yo, I'm, I'm from New York. I've seen gangster shit my whole life. I lived in Chicago. Uh, my father's like, there's nothing that I haven't seen. But my father said, I quickly learned this shit is real. Rafa is teaching Robert the family business. Well, what my uncle Rafa was doing and was like, look, this is who I am. This is what I stand for. If either you're going to be down or lay down. Now you're stuck with us because you're part of the family. You have, a, you have my nephew that's about to be born, but this is the family business. He even taught him how to speak Spanish. Oh, uh, they're teaching my father Spanish. My father didn't understand a lick of Spanish. They, they taught my father how to read, write, even how to eat, etiquette.
1: Robert is a fast learner and very quickly, he endears himself to Rafa and they become like brothers. All right, you guys, let's take a minute to thank our amazing sponsor, you know them by now. We love them, Mood. Mood CBD, Delta 8 and Delta 9 products are the best in the business, you guys. They have every single flavor of CBD and Delta 8, Delta 9, gummy, edible, vape, pre-roll that you could possibly want. You can order it online and get it delivered to you anywhere in America, even if you live in a state where cannabis is still illegal, God forbid. You can order and have Mood send you products in a discreet package and you don't have to worry about the feds. This is the workaround, you guys. Support Mood today. Go to hellomood.co and use the promo code connect 20 to get 20% off anything on their website plus you already know this by now use the promo code connect free and get a free five count pack of gummies with your purchase you guys go get high do it the legal way do it the right way go to hellomood.co support them because they support us all right let's get back into the episode Rafa was the
0: unsung hero of the Medellin cartel. He didn't get the, the credit and the respect that he deserved because they were talking about Pablo, because they were talking about Los Ochoas, because they were talking about the, the, the direct connect in the Medellin cartel. They were talking about Gacha. But without, without Rafa, there wouldn't be none of these people. Rafa was the first one that expanded it rafa is certified that he's the first one that started it in miami
1: remember miami was the first major cocaine market medellin to florida was the very first drug route in the history of the international global cocaine business and it was the gateway to north america for the medellin cartel that was so important because the money that is made off of cocaine is not in colombia It's in the United States. And he was the one that supervised the beginning
0: of that explosion. These people were getting a thousand keys a week. You know, fuck, these people are moving tons. They weren't moving keys. And he made his bosses,
1: Pablo Escobar and Jorge Ochoa, multi-billionaires almost overnight.
0: Rafa was the one that was making sure that, okay, we're getting the coke into Miami, Mm -hmm. but how the fuck are we getting the coke here? But we need to get the money back to our country. He took
1: them from being manufacturers and distributors to verticalizing the Medellin cartel all the way to the retail market on the consumption end
0: of the drug chain. This shit, this city's built on cocaine. So therefore, he was the, 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 he's the founding father in Miami when it comes to the cocaine.
1: He was in charge of all of it, the whole operation in Miami from the stash houses to the distributors to the retailers. But most importantly, Rafa sent the money back to Colombia. He figured out ingenious ways to smuggle billions of dollars in cash, no small feat, back to the owners of the
0: cartel in Medellin. So Rafa was making sure that he was sending money the same way we were getting drugs in Miami. He was making sure that there was drugs coming, the money coming back to Colombia. That was unheard of. It was just washing money, buying this, buying that. He created a reverse drug route, a money route,
1: the most important thing in business, but especially the drug business. So
0: Rafa was like, let's let's bring our money back home. Let's build, let's take care of Colombia. He was also very known (coughs) with Pablo. Pablo was trying to worry about the extradition. You know what I mean? Everybody, nobody, they said that it's better a funeral in Colombia than a prison in, in America. And um, they were paying to fight Colombia for extradition. Rafa was one of the people that was making sure that Pablo, he, he had donated millions and millions of dollars
1: to that movement. He set up a string of stash houses throughout different neighborhoods in Miami. Dude, we're really like in what feels like a classic old Miami
0: suburb. This is is one of the first ones, man. Cocaine alley. Which Colombians called caletas. A caleta is pretty much where you hide drugs, money, things that if the cops come to rate you, things like that, it doesn't get found. It's a stash house. It's a stash. Well, we call it a stash house now, but a caleta in Spanish is like pretty much where you keep the money or the drugs. He would move up families from
1: Colombia and have them live in these different caletas. They have caletas, where
0: they keep the money and the dope. But they also had spots that would oversee the ocean on South Beach, Biscayne, Hallover, that it was basically it was a caleta, but not really, because they're looking out for the Coast Guard. They're, they're watching the water, you know what I mean? So there's caleta, there was caletas everywhere. They had caletas that it was only to count money. They had caletas that it was only to keep dope. They had caletas where they would have meetings, you know what I mean? And each of these stash houses
1: came equipped with removable walls where you could slide it over and there would be
0: space for kilos and drug money. This is the first caleta, the first house that officially became where they started moving and receiving stuff and moving it out all through Florida. So this is the first, first, first house, the first caleta, the first famous crib that they talked about in the cocaine cowboys. I believe Nikki said it, that, uh, when he uh, touched Rafa, I touched the wall, everything started moving. My father, bro, would tell me stories that the smell would get you high. Of money? of uh, No, of the drugs. Oh, of okay. the drugs in the house. Of the
1: keys even packaged?
0: It even packaged um, that you would walk in the house and you'd be high all fucking day. And
1: his system was very efficient. He would use the stash house for a very brief period of time
0: and then he would move on to a different one. The thing with these caletas, it was after a while, it wouldn't be a caleta anymore. You know what I mean? It was always moving around.
1: But then he would actually give the house to the family that he had put
0: in there. He looked out for everybody in the family, you know? He bought people cars, houses. He made sure everybody around him was straight at all times. So
1: he was very generous in that sense. He really took care of the Colombian immigrant community that had come up to Miami. And later on, Alex would end up growing up in one of the biggest Caletas. And at this time, Alex's father was getting tighter with Rafa and working his way up in the organization. My father's already putting in his work. He's already riding with Rafa. He's earning his trust. And being an American from New York really helped him in the cartel. So in the early days, the Colombians were very exclusive with who they gave product to. They didn't trust anybody who wasn't
0: Colombian. The Colombians, we, we, we take care of our own, you know, just like a lot of nationalities, a lot of countries, they stick with their own kind. You know what I mean? And it was Robert, Alex's father, who
1: went to Rafa and was like, look, dude, we're leaving money on the table. We got to start expanding the market and giving this Coke to street dealers, the Jamaicans, the
0: Haitians. My father would tell, would, would tell Rafa, was like, look, all we got to worry about is the dollar, the green dollar. Everything else, fuck languages, fuck everything. We gotta make sure that the, the street people have it because back then everybody did coke. Doctors, lawyers, movie stars, singers, everybody. Coke was the thing, right? From the Studio 54 days and all that. So my father kind of was like, nah, we, we have to bring this everywhere to everybody. So that's what, where the English and the, that's how my father moved up the ranks real fast. Where Rafa, he was trusted, he was married into the family. And Rafa trusted Robert with a lot of the wet work too. You guys know that Miami back in that time was a war zone. The first gangster act that happened in Miami was the shit that happened at Dayland Mall.
1: Right, which we're close to. We we're close blinded. to,
0: we're close to, we're right. close to Dayland. And that's when the first time that she had ever been seen with a fucking armored truck. You know what I mean? With fucking windows to shoot out of. It was out of a movie and shit. So that's when the first, it happened in Kendall. Robert
1: actually became the manager of all of the Colombian sicarios who were in Miami to act as enforcers or gunmen. My father was in
0: charge of all the bodyguards, all the security guards, all of the the hitmen, the people that were on the payroll.
1: Griselda Blanco, very famous for being one of the most murderous drug kingpins at that time. They crossed paths a lot and they got their hands dirty. Rafa was also in charge of organizing the Barry Seal
0: hit. Rafa had Barry Seal killed, right? He made the movie, The American Made or whatever it is.
1: If you don't know who Barry Seal is, he was one of the cocaine pilots who worked for Pablo and the Medellin cartel during the 80s. He was also a DEA
0: informant. Barry went and, and did the whole recording in a plane that they recorded Pablo and Jorge grabbing shit out of the, out of the plane. So 1986,
1: the cartel put a hit out on Barry and Rafa was in charge of organizing it.
0: It took them, my father said it took them like two or three months to find Barry. But Rafa was the one that called Colombia, had people fly from Colombia. Some of those guys just got out, you know what I mean? They just got out. But um, when that shit happened, my father
1: had to do with all that. Rafa was never given the credit that Pablo Escobar was in expanding the cocaine industry. But in fact, guys like him were instrumental in the cartel's expansion. They could not have done what they did in Miami and made the amount of money in such a short time that they did without guys like Rafa on the ground, making
0: sure that cocaine got distributed. But without, without Rafa was the first one that, that touched down. So to me, he's, uh, he should have been on, on Mount Rushmore. You know what I'm saying? He should have been up there with Pablo and Jorge Chua because
1: he was in the table. Now it's 1987, and back in Colombia, Rafa catches
0: a beef with a man named Penina. Penina was Pablo's right-hand man. Penina was not a cartel member, but if anything happened to Pablo, he was the one that was the closest, more close than his cousin, than his brother. It was a shadow, right?
1: And he caught beef with Rafa over a woman that they were both sleeping with.
0: It all happened over a woman. It always happened like that. There's more men in prison for women than for, for criminal crime, right? Who are we kidding? So
1: Panina put a hit out on Rafa, who at this time was one of the most untouchable guys
0: in the cartel. But he knew he couldn't do nothing to Rafa because if he did anything to Rafa, Rafa's one of the top guys in the inner circle of the cartel. But Alex told us something that was shocking. I always wanted to know who had killed my uncle and why. You know, it was always important to me. If you wanted to take out somebody like Rafa, you had to have permission from the bosses. Pablo, back then, it's just like now. You got actual permission, or if you're gonna go do it, you got to tell somebody. So according to Alex, Pablo knew about the hit that Panina had put out on Rafa,
1: but he refused to warn Rafa. So he essentially sanctioned the hit on it. Pablo got Rafa
0: killed. Pablo could have stopped it. Pablo would have said, no, That shit's not going to go down. It wouldn't have went down. So Pablo could have spared my uncle.
1: So one day in 1987, Rafa is in his office building in
0: El Poblado, in Medellin. Imagine my uncle always used to walk around with a suitcase. This is said by my mother, my aunts, my, my whole family. He had a suitcase He always carried a grenade, a million dollars, and a gun. And he said, if you ever got put in a situation, the Americans, the feds or anything would come to get him, he would rather blow himself up. First, he would try to buy himself out with a million dollars. If he couldn't bribe himself out, he'll blow himself up with a grenade.
1: And he's surrounded by his army of sicarios, and the Colombian military shows up.
0: He sent people dressed as uh, Colombian army to his office in Colombia to execute him. When they come there, my uncle has 25 bodyguards with him. My uncle's like, bro, I got everybody on payroll. You guys can't do shit to me. I'm going to go there. I'm going to be there for two hours. I'm going to drink a coffee and come right back, right?
1: And he's not tripping because he pays off the military, right? So he figured they were there to make a collection. Panina had paid off the military to have them kill Rafa.
0: A huge shootout ensued, and Rafa was killed. When they started shooting at, at Rafa, his secretary jumped in the middle. She got killed. Um... Estelita, that was his, his secretary. Wow. She got hit like eight times. My uncle got hit, I think like 10 times. Yep. But when, when they shot him, that my uncle fell and my uncle went to go grab the grenade. He goes, a Rafa, no, she jumps in front. She jumps in front, they air her out, right? She dies and they grabbed my uncle and then there was a gunfight. This is a man who was as much a father to Alex as his biological
1: dad was. He helped raise Alex during his formative years and looked out for him
0: when he lived in Colombia. So Pablo had a grudge with my uncle because of Pinina, right. Because Pinina was his right-hand man. Right. But he couldn't, if he was saying anything, everybody would be like, hold on, but he's one of us. You can't, know. we can't touch him. So how I'm looking at it from a gangster role is he was like, he knew about it, so Pinina, now nah, Pinina, chill. There'll come the time and the place for that. If Pablo would have said, no, you can't touch him, nothing would happen.
1: Okay, so before that, before all of the drama with Panina and the murder happening in Miami, Alex Montanez, son of Robert, nephew to Rafa Salazar, was born in New York City. Right after that, the family relocated to Medellin and his father started working with the cartel. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying the episode. Let me take a quick minute to tell you about Organic Food Kings. They are the number one vegan restaurant in the Miami area, owned by none other than Alex Montanez, who you're watching in this episode. Alex opened up his first vegan organic food king spot a couple of years ago, and now have five locations around the city. Dude, when we were filming in Miami with him, we ate uh, three meals a day at these spots. This is how good they were. They've got vegan burgers, wings, quesadillas, smoothies, desserts. Everything completely vegan, and it's delicious. It tastes like the, the real thing, you know. So you've got to go check them out. If you love this show, go support his restaurants. They're anywhere you are in the Miami area. They're gonna have one for you. Like I said, they just opened their fifth location. Go check them out. Organic food kings. Go support our man Alex. All right, let's get back into the episode.
0: I was born in New York, when I was born in New York, about uh, a month, a month old, my family took me to Medellin, Colombia, where I lived most of my my childhood growing up.
1: So at this time, the Medellin cartel is the biggest industry in Colombia, and they are literally building up the city of Medellin. They're building schools and hospitals, they're investing in infrastructure projects. They're building entire neighborhoods in the outskirts of the city. They are cocaine royalty,
0: and Alex was born and brought up in the royal family. I'm growing up, you know. I'm seeing the the big houses, the lavish cars, the the bodyguards, uh, security, nannies, maids, you name it. You know, presidential type of shit, right? He was a rich kid. He went to private English speaking academies. I went to a school my whole life that a lot of the big the big dogs or somebody's in Colombia, they put their 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 kids in this school, which is like an academy. You have teachers that teach you English, that they're teaching you the class in English. And it's not they have security guards, you have everybody have their bodyguards. It's it's different in Colombia. You know, everybody's on the payroll. You know whose son this is, whose niece is that whose daughter that is. And he was raised by all of these drug lords. At, at the family party, you would always see somebody. When we were in Colombia, uh, parties with Jorge Ochoa, um, a lot of big-time people that now you look at, you look at these documentaries, and I'm like, fuck, I know his daughter, I know everybody, right? In fact, he told us a story about one time as a little kid. I, I was going through the crowd, like, you know, these Spanish... You know my brother, Spanish parties, everybody's dancing. There's fucking people everywhere. And I remember I was running with the kids. We were were running through the fucking dance floor and I bumped into Pablo, you know what I mean? And fucking, I looked up and it was fucking Pablo. And Pablo, I'm like, oh shit, I knew he was a somebody. Just like I knew Jorge was a somebody and I knew my uncle was a somebody. And uh, he picked me up and brought me up like that and, and was telling me in Spanish, yo, slow down, be careful and his father robert started off small
1: in the organization
0: he would wash cars he said uh, he would wash rafa's cars or they would send him to go pick up some money well what well, well, nowadays we call a foot soldier we call him a soldier he would go do soldier shit. not that bosses don't do you know what i mean you don't send your business partner to go pick up some money you send one of your workers one of your soldiers so my father said that when he got there, he was making so much money that they were blessing him. Rafa was blessing him, but Rafa was like, you're not gonna get it easy. But he quickly moved up. He got gotten some shootouts with Rafa. Rafa's known for, for having a short fuse. My father, a few shootouts. A few situations for, for my father to earn Rafa's trust. My, my father got shot like three or four times. Protected him, saved his life a couple of times. And that
1: really endeared him to Rafa.
0: My father was in multiple gun battles at that time in the 80s before the Colombian cartel with my uncle Rafa. So now my father has earned Rafa's trust. He's like, fuck, now I'm calling Rafa's calling my father. Yo, this is my brother.
1: So soon he became in charge of logistics for that wing of the cartel. If a government official or a
0: policeman needed to be paid off, that was Robert. He was pretty much at this, at this like now, in our era, we call that, he was like the the enforcer. You know what I'm saying? He made sure everybody got paid from cops to, to crooked lawyers, to crooked judges, and make sure that everybody was being paid
1: and everybody was happy. If someone needed to get knocked off, Robert was in charge of organizing
0: it. My father was more of the street type of dude. So Rafa always used to tell my father, even though, He's my business partner. My right hand, I
1: need you to watch him. And at this same time, Robert starts traveling back and forth between Medellin and Miami to help Rafa in the expansion of the organization there. I will see him like maybe like once or twice a month. And just like in Medellin, Robert's key function in Miami was logistics. He oversaw all of
0: Rafa's caletas, his stash houses. So my father was in charge of making sure who got who got the money, who got paid the stash houses, uh, how much shit was coming
1: in. He would buy warehouses and different factories to store the drugs in. He worked with the pilots
0: like Roger Reeves and Barry Seal. My father would make sure the pilots would get paid. My father had a lot of relationship with pilots and things like that. My father knew Barry Seal very well. He
1: bought real estate and all of these other front businesses for the cartel to launder their money through.
0: That's when my father started, well, look, my, my wife let her buy a business. We bought a coin laundry, which was a called Tropic Cleaners, that he bought that from my aunt and my mother. My father was telling Rafa, listen, we need, we need to find a stream. My uncle bought a mattress store, car dealers, warehouses, all types of different things.
1: And of course, the hits, the Sicarios. when somebody had to get killed, it was Robert who delegated the work.
0: So my father was the American, the brother. They didn't look at him like, oh, this is just a no, no, this is the boss's brother and he's the one that pays us, make sure everybody's fed, make sure everybody's on point and if some work gotta get done, this is what we're gonna do.
1: He was very successful and he made Alex's family a lot of money in a short amount of time.
0: After him marrying my mother, me being born, and him seeing the lifestyle, the money, the cars, the power, my father said he got infatuated with it. He was like, this is what I was born for you know, and that he was made for this shit. My father was like, I would have died for for Rafa in a heartbeat because he made me a somebody, you know what I mean? So my my father became very rich very fast and very powerful, very quick. My father said, I touched a million before you were born.
1: Alex was only six years old, living in Medellin, Colombia, when he and his cousin got kidnapped after school one day.
0: They surrounded the bus with assault rifles and i don't know why bro like i knew it was for us and they came looking directly for us they grabbed them and grabbed me the bus driver was like no oh you can't take the kids and this this and that and they shot him on his on his ankle they put us in a little uncomfortable fucking car right and they threw me me and my cousin in the back and i remember that they were trying to put some shit over our face like uh I don't wanna say a garbage bag. I wanna say maybe like a pillowcase or some shit. And I remember, bro, I've always been stubborn. I'm over here like, bro, you know who the fuck we are? You know, I'm talking shit. And they're like, yo, shut up. They, we get to a, a finca and they put me and my cousin in a room. And I remember me and my cousin, we were scared, but I was more like, like ballsy. I was more like talking shit. They had a guy in there in a chair watching us the whole fucking time. And I remember that after like the second day, the guy took a liking to me because I'm trying to negotiate. That's why I'm such a good ne- negotiator. I'm telling the guy, I'm like, listen, if you let if you let us go now, I won't let my family do nothing to you. Mind you, I'm six, seven years old, I'm a fucking kid. And I'm telling him, I'm like, do you know, do you know who we are? I'm like, I'm like, do you know who my father or my uncle are? Do you know who my godfather is? I'm talking shit to the guy. And the guy's like, look, you guys are gonna be out of here in a few hours. Uh, I remember the guy kept trying to like calm me down. And I'm, after a while me and the guy got cool and I'm like, listen, let me go and I won't let nothing happen to you.
1: How long were you guys held for?
0: I want to say my brother, it was about like four days, three to four days we were in. I think they rescued us on the fourth day, they let us go.
1: It was probably a group like the FARC or the M19, these left wing guerrilla groups who used to kidnap members of cartel families and hold them for ransom. That's a way that they funded their activities.
0: My father told me back then they charged a million dollars for each one of us to let us go. I remember when the, I guess when the money and the ransom and everything were paid, they dropped us off. You know, I don't know if you've been to Columbia, my brother, but Columbia had like little stores. Like when you're driving through mountains and shit, they left us in the middle of a town that they left us in a store. And when we were there, they told us pretty much Go in there and call who you're gonna call like i remember we were there not even for an hour man and they came and picked us up there were some old ladies that were giving us food and hanging out with us
1: and not surprisingly they
0: found out who the kidnappers were and uh doesn't sound like they made it but that 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 militant group that kidnapped us man they disappeared bro very very fast you know what i'm saying the kidnapping of Alex and the murder of Rafa were enough for his father, Robert,
1: to say, you know what, Columbia isn't safe anymore.
0: When my father got me back, my father was like, yo, I'll never let you go again until we gotta get out of Columbia, shit's real.
1: So he relocated his family to Miami, where he picked up where Rafa had left off. It was Rafa Salazar, Uncle Rafa, who brought Robert, Alex's father, into the family business. Now with him gone and Robert at the head of the family in Miami, he was about to kick off two decades of drug trafficking, murder, and running from the law. And it was Alex who was getting ready to be the third generation to join the family business. All right, you guys, that's been today's episode. Make sure to tune in next week for part two of Alex's story, The Son of the Cowboys.